Are you ready this morning? All right, here we go. Philippians chapter 2, open your Bibles. We'll look at verses 19 through 30. And I'll remind you that last week we noted that Paul had returned to the subject that he covered in chapter 1, and that is about the possibility of having a guilty verdict when he stands before Nero. And he did so by posing this particular scenario, saying, if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice of your service and faith, uh, then indeed that's what's going to happen. And we noted that within the sacrificial system of the Jews, that whatever a burnt offering was offered or even a grain offering, the last thing to happen was a cup of olive oil or wine was poured out on that sacrifice, signaling uh, that it indeed had been offered to the Lord. And Paul's saying, you know what? Could be time for me to go home. And uh, we made the point that even as he was recognizing it could be the time for him to go home, because he mentioned the day of Christ, Christ is the Lord, the day of the Lord and the day of Christ are the same thing. Could be, it's time for us to go home. And we talked about this last week, and we, what he experienced personally, we applied it corporately, and our verses began with the word therefore, meaning in light of the fact, or in light of these things, and we made the point, three of them in number, that it's time to go home, therefore we are to live and plan every day, like it could be our last. You know why? could be our last. The Lord could come for us even today, amen? Now we also learned that it's time to go home, therefore do not allow the increasing darkness to encroach upon being a light. Satan is trying to snuff out our candle. He's trying to silence the church. He tried to, uh, throughout the pandemic, and even though there were uh, government officials involved in the actions, the uh, desire behind it was of the enemy. He'd like nothing more than for the church not to meet. He'd like nothing more than the church not to be able to declare to the world that there is a hope beyond this life. He's trying to shut us down. But when he tries to shut us down, that's when we stand up. Amen? Now, we also learned that it's time to go home. Therefore, reaching others is our top priority. We need to be telling people about Jesus. There's nothing more important than that. And you agreed by saying, Amen. Now, we also need to remember these things have always been true. It wasn't anything new. It wasn't anything revelatory. These things have always been necessities for the church. Of course, we always ought to be telling people about Jesus. That always ought to be our top priority, right? Of course, we have to live as every day is our last. Paul was doing it all the way back in the first century, but it's the first time in history that the church has existed with Jews back in their national homeland. It's the first time in church history where most of the church will not endorse sound doctrine, but prefer ear-tickling fables. It's the first time in church history where the Ezekiel War participants and protesters are all operating within their prophesied roles, it's time to go home. Now, Paul wrote this to the church in Rome in 13, 10 to 14. He says, love does no harm to a neighbor. What's our word for 2022? Love. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now, our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Paul describes it like this. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness 
and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk out properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness and lewdness and lust and strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Now, as we did with Peter last week, so too we see with Paul in the book of Romans that the Holy Spirit is connecting the last days and walking worthy of the gospel. Here he calls it walking properly. So listen, when time is short and it's clearly time to go home, we need to be paying exceptional attention to how we are living and what we are living for. Now this morning, Paul is going to break from his normal pattern of mentioning those who are with him at the end of the letter, and he's going to give us a bit of an insertion, if you will, and introduce to us two men. One we're familiar with, the other we'll meet this morning, or some of us will. Timothy is a man that Paul regards as a son in the faith. Epaphroditus, Paul is going to introduce to us and describe as a brother, a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, and interestingly, Epaphroditus' name means lovely. Now, we've all met somebody where we heard their name and said, oh, that's a lovely name. Epaphroditus would say, that's right. That's my name. It's lovely. Now, the insertion of personal mentions at this point in Paul's letter is interesting, and the reason will become clear as we read through the content. Now, some of Dove's sections like this as a, a travel log, an apostolic travel log. Some even call it an apostolic parousia, where they are announcing their travel plan, so the recipients of the letter can make any necessary preparations for their arrival. Now, Paul does mention that he hopes to come and see them personally, but the travel information he's giving is in relation to Timothy and Epaphroditus. Now, it is worth noting that we read in Romans 13 that loving each other was the introductory statement to an admonition to walk properly because the night is far spent and the day, the day of the Lord, is at hand. Now, the reason this is important is because it is a love and concern for the church that causes Paul to break from his normal pattern of Scripture writing. And I couldn't help but think, you know what? There's nothing normal about the last days. We've all heard it said, normal isn't coming back. But Jesus is. Amen? We have the supposed new normal. And Paul's thinking, you know, this may be it for me. So he breaks from his pattern and covers that which is passionately on his heart. And for Paul, you know, if you know you may get a guilty verdict, and if you know that guilty verdict means a death sentence, then you're going to do things differently. And that's what he does, even within the structure of this epistle. Now, we know, it seems clear, that it's time to go home. And therefore, we need to break from normal patterns. We need to do some of the same things we're going to see incorporated in this insertion that Paul has today and break from our routines and reprioritize life. Now, this gives us our title and topic for today, which is basically a companion to last week. And our title this morning is, you ready? Preparing for Departure. We are preparing for departure. It's time to go home, so we need to prepare for departure. Now, we made the illustration last week that when you have an upcoming vacation, there's a level of excitement the closer that it grows near, as well as a flurry of activity 
that takes place when the day of departure uh, is upon you. Now, Jesus said this in Matthew 24, 42 to 44, Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour the Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready. Think about this. He said, you don't know when the Lord is coming, but be ready for it. So we need to live in a constant state of readiness. Amen. And then he says, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And since it is time to go home, and the hour of departure is not known, but clearly near, what are the last minute things we ought to be doing in preparation for our departure? This will be our subject matter this morning, and we'll find it through Paul's travel log he inserts in the middle of his letter. So would you stand and read with me, please, the first of our three sections is 19 to 24 of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, 19 through 24. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I may also be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. And Lord, we pray this morning that you would prepare us for that which is coming. And Lord, even though we cannot and do not know the day or the hour, nor would we be so foolish to even dare to predict the day on which you're coming, the signs are all around us and we need to be ready. The Lord, so further equip us this morning, prepare us for departure, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Now, since Paul did things out of order, I'm going to jump on the bandwagon this morning. And instead of working our way through the verses we just read, I want to start at the last two. And Paul said he hoped to send Timothy at once, which means that he was hoping that he would be standing before Caesar pretty soon. And he said that he was trusting in the Lord that he himself would be heading their way soon, implying he expected to get the verdict of innocent. Now, I think this is important for us to point out for two reasons. One, we see in this the humanity of Paul. He was hoping for and trusting the Lord for a verdict of innocent. And secondly, we see in this the power of hope when the Lord is the object of hope. There's people that hope for a lot of things today that never come to pass and they're disappointed. But our hope is in the Lord, the unchanging God. We can always have hope in Him. Amen? Amen. And the reason this is important to point out and start here is because the humanity of Paul is not only revealed in the fact that the outcome of his trial was on his mind, but we know now historically that the outcome he was hoping for and praying for didn't happen. Paul was executed. And yet he said in Philippians 1.19, For I know that this, speaking of his imprisonment and trial, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. And then he said in 22 to 25 of the same chapter, But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is what? far better. 
Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, Paul says, what are the next two words? I know that I shall remain and continue with you for all your, pro your, uh, all your progress and joy of faith. Now, Paul said, I know I will be delivered. He said, I know I will remain and continue. And here he says, I trust in the Lord that I'm going to come to you shortly. Yet according to the historian Eusebius, somewhere in the time of the great fire of 64 AD or after it, Paul was tried, Paul was found guilty, Paul was executed by means of beheading. So did the Lord let Paul down? God doesn't let anybody down, amen? Did God tell Paul one thing and then do something completely different? No, not at all. Paul should have had hope. Paul should have been trusting in the Lord that the Lord would secure his release. Think about it. How could Paul have faced all the things that he faced, all the dire circumstances that he went through without hope in God, without trust in God? Now listen, we've all thought God was going to do something and then he did something else. Hello? We've all thought, I know. I know he's going to do this and he does something completely different. And this is where Paul was. But what we need to understand is that it was the immovable hope that we, he had, that we have, that allow us to think the way Paul did. I'm trusting in the Lord. I'm hoping in the Lord. I'm expecting a positive outcome. Now, back to the top of our text, and we'll talk more about this in a moment. Paul mentions Timothy and his hope to send him to them shortly to report on the outcome of his trial. Now, his assessment of Timothy is nothing short of grandiose. He talks about his love for this son that makes it clearly uh, evident, a son in the faith. He talks about Timothy's like-mindedness with Paul, which in Paul's mind made him the only candidate to send back and help them walk through all the things that were creeping into the church at Philippi that Paul loved. Now, I have to say, amongst the commentators, there was a lot of ink that was used uh, to explain what Paul said and his comment about everybody else seeks their own. Some were saying, is, is Paul saying that Peter, James, and John and the other apostles that were self-centered and they all think, uh, seek their own and Timothy was exclusive from that group? Was Paul saying everybody around me is self-oriented except for Timothy? And I don't think it was any of those things. I think what we should read from this is that Paul was saying Timothy's like me in the sense that he is unattached. He is committed fully to ministry. And we see Paul dealing with this issue in 1 Corinthians 7, 32-33, where he says, I want you to be without care or earthly concerns. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord. And this would be Timothy's status, how he may please the Lord. But he who is married cares about the things of the world, how he may please his wife. Now, Paul is not saying that's wrong, because that's right. That's exactly what someone who is married ought to do, to care about taking care of their household. Amen? That's why he would say, he who doesn't care for his own household is worse than an unbeliever to the church of Thessaloniki. So Paul is simply saying, listen, Timothy is all in like me, and therefore he is going to be all over these things, and I'm going to send it back. He's the only fitting one for me to send back to you. It's illogical for him to say, you know, I'm going to send Timothy to you because, well, you know, he's just better than everybody else. 
because that's obviously not true. And that would obviously be a matter of pride in and of itself. Now, what I want to focus on here in the midst of the reality that Paul was potentially facing his time of departure is he wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 6. Here he says, if I'm being poured out as a drink offering. In 2 Timothy 4, 6, the last chapter of the last letter Paul wrote, he said, I am being poured out as a drink offering. I am going to die. And the time of my departure is at hand. And in light of that, we need to focus on what Paul was doing at the time of his departure. His mind was on things and people who were an encouragement to him and to other people. And here's where we need to arrive at our first point in preparation for our departure, because the fact is, things are tough right now. Right? It's bizarre right now. I mean, it's bad enough that everybody had to stay home, but now we got a supply chain problem. People are having to stay home with empty shelves and all these other ridiculous things we see going on in our world. It is tough today, amen? But listen, here's what Paul is teaching us, I believe, in paraphrase form. Listen, the best way to face a downturn is to keep your hopes up. The best way to face a downturn is to keep our hopes up. And by up, I mean upwards. And this is what Paul was doing. He was trusting and hoping in the Lord. And in his mind, he was thinking about what would be best for others, even in his own dire circumstances, specifically in this case, the Philippians. And he thought, you know what? Timothy's kind of a mini-me, so I'm going to send him back because he's, Timothy knows how I think and what my passion is and how I love this church, and they know him. So he's the rightful candidate to send back. And this is why Paul would also say back, uh, or forward rather, in chapter 4 of this same letter in 8 and 9, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, and if there's anything praiseworthy, forget about these things and think about all the negative. What do you say? Meditate on these things. The things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, which will result in the God of peace being with you. Now, here's what we need to remember. The time of our departure has nothing positive associated with it. The Bible says at the time of our departure, there are going to be perilous times. There are going to be godless times. There are going to be loveless times. There are going to be pride-filled times. There are going to be evil times. And we're even, as Jesus said, going to be hated by all for his name's sake. So how do we face them? We trust and hope in the Lord. We meditate on all the unchanging good things that come from knowing God. I can't even imagine going through all the junk we're living through right now and not knowing Jesus. It's no wonder people are such a mess. Do you know that the number one killer of people between 18 and 45 years old in the United States right now is overdosing on fentanyl? People are killing themselves trying to escape the pressures of how we're living. Do you know what the number two killer in the United States right now of people between 18 and 45? Suicide. Overdoses of drugs and suicide are killing more people in the working age bracket than any other thing that's happening in the world. And you know what? We're facing the same things they are, but we have hope. We are trusting in the Lord. And that's what makes the difference, no matter the circumstance. 
and we face the things we're facing with trust and hope in the Lord. We meditate on the good things of God. And as we prepare for departure, as Paul was doing, so should we. We keep our hopes up. We keep trusting that God will deliver because the truth is, he did deliver Paul. He just delivered him through the executioner's sword, and he was immediately in the presence of the Lord. For to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, one of the things I think we often have to remember because of the Bible detractor's argument, well, you know what? The Lord let Paul get killed. Listen, heaven is never a downgrade. Paul went from there. He'd already said, you know what? To depart and be with the Lord, that's far better. Far better. It's needful for me to stay, and I think I'm going to, but going to heaven is far better. Paul is still of that opinion today. Going to heaven is never a downgrade. It's never a failure on God's part. And the best way to live when things are down is to keep your hopes up. Focus and trust in the Lord. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, let's look at 25 to 27, the first half of Paul's mention of Epaphroditus. This lovely man, as his name says. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick, almost unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon Sorrow, and again, there's been a lot of effort by the commentators as to why Paul mentioned Timothy first when he was actually going to go second and all of that stuff, and I think the answer is quite simple. That would be the first question on their mind. Hey, has anybody heard what's going on with Paul? Has Paul stood before Caesar yet? So he answered the more pressing question uh, first, even though Timothy would go later. Now, Paul says, while Timothy will come with the news later about my trial, I thought it necessary to immediately send you Epaphroditus, lest you worry over him because of what you've heard he's gone through. Now, I think we need to understand that Paul is giving us this personal experience, and we've been taking these things and making corporate, corporate application from them. And I think we can do so here as well, where we remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, 7-8, the last two verses of the preamble to the Olivet Discourse. Jesus said, in answer to the question, what will be the signs of his coming in the end of the age? Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the what? Beginning of sorrows. Remember, when Paul wrote to Thessaloniki, he, called, he used the same Greek word translated beginning of sorrows uh, as birth pangs or labor pains. Now, collectively... These things tell us that when the time comes for our departure to be near, things are going to be tough on earth, and therefore we need to be prepared. Now, people debate the issue needlessly, I believe, as to whether there is anything in the Olivet Discourse that the church is going to experience. And listen, if you've got a shortage of email, just go online and say part of the Olivet Discourse applies to the church, and you'll get plenty of email. I can testify to that. But I believe it is so, and I believe what we just read is why it is so. Listen, the Great Tribulation is a time of God's wrath. All of it. All seven years is God's wrath. 
Listen, Daniel was told there are 77s appointed or cut out for your people, who are the Jews, and your holy city, which is in Jerusalem. How many of the first 69 weeks was the church present for? None. So why would they be present for the 70? We're going to be out of here because we don't have an appointment with Ralph. I, I'm sorry. I, I was under the impression that that was really good news and you'd be excited about it. We're not going to be here because we're not appointed to Ralph. Now, the things that are listed in Matthew 24, 7 and 8 are not God's wrath. It's just normal life on a fallen world. Wars and rumors of wars. Uh, famines. All these things that lead up to the tribulation where they reach their ultimate zenith during that time. And the biggest earthquake in history happens. The biggest famine in history happens. Uh, all the other, the war, the biggest war in history happens. All those things are moving in that direction, and we are watching them happen now, including pestilence. Uh, is there anything in the news about pestilence lately? Only all day, every day, right? What are we hearing about? Disease, that's what pestilence means, or plague. We hear about it all day long. Now, here's why I wanted to point that out. Here's Paul. The time of his departure is near. He's watching a lovely man, Epaphroditus, his brother, fellow worker, and soldier, and the one whom the Philippians had sent to bring a financial gift to Paul, fight for his life. And the general circumstances are obviously completely different, but the object lesson is the same. As Paul's time of departure individually grew near, he's under house arrest. The person who would determine his fate was a complete nut. I'll just leave that there. You can do with that whatever you want. He was part of a group that would actually be the best citizens of their country, even though they were charged with being insurrectionists. And what was Paul experiencing? Someone important to him was sick to death while persecution was rising against the church. Any of that sound vaguely familiar? It's exactly what we're going through now. And therefore, we have to remember how Paul looked at this as we read back in chapter 1. He said in 12 to 14, But I want you to know, brethren, that these th the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. That's exactly what ought to happen with COVID. It ought to turn out for the furtherance of the gospel. We ought to be talking about the hope we have because people are living in fear. And God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. We are the people of a sound mind when people are losing their minds. We are the people of a sound mind when people are living in complete and absolute fear. And Paul says, listen, all the stuff I have gone through has actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel so that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to the rest that my chains are in Christ. In other words, I'm a doulos. I'm a slave of Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without what? Without fear. Now, we see the same type of thinking in Paul in our verses. He said, not only did God have mercy on my brother, God's mercy on my brother was actually mercy toward me, lest I have on top of the sorrow of my imprisonment, and being uh, apart from everybody I love and care about, he said, God spared him, which was a blessing to me. 
Now, listen, this is the kind of thinking we need today. This is what we need to incorporate as we prepare for departure, knowing that the last days are perilous and loveless and truthless and all the other things we talked about a moment ago. Listen this morning, here's what we need to apply to our own lives. Do not allow difficulties to overshadow God's mercies. As we prepare for departure, do not allow difficulties to overshadow God's mercies. Now listen, I've said this before, I'll just throw this out there right now. If you're going to a church where you never get convicted, you're never hearing the Word of God. Because the Bible is convicting, right? Cuts down to the joint and marrow and gets down to the heart and the meat of the matter. And we're going to do that right now. So you ready? <laughs> I was almost convinced by that. Thank you for that. Listen, think about Paul's situation and what he just said. He's been under house arrest now for four years. He was almost beaten to death by an angry mob in Jerusalem for something he didn't do. He sat in the praetorium in Caesarea Maritima for two years because Felix, the governor, was hoping Paul would bribe him and give him money so he'd release him. So during this two-year time, at the end of it, Paul appeals to Caesar. And then he's sent to Rome to stand trial. And on the way, his ship gets caught in a 14-day storm that was so severe, nobody on the ship ate for 14 days, and they lived in absolute panic that they were all going to die. And Paul said, hey, listen, we all got to stay on the boat, and if we do, we'll all survive. They ate nothing for 14 days. The ship crashes onto the rocks on an island called Malta, and they are now on the shore. They built a fire to warm themselves. And out of the fire leaps a poisonous viper whose bite is deadly. And who does it attach itself to? Paul. Then he finally arrives in Rome. He has to rent his own house. He remains under house arrest, chained to a Roman guard by an 18-inch chain for two years. And a city where he was beaten with Silas and placed in stocks and put in jail sends a representative to him with a financial gift to aid Paul and his needs. And this guy, whom Paul loves, falls deathly ill, but Paul sees him recover, and his conclusion is this. Are you ready? Paul says, man, the Lord has been merciful to me. After four years, Years of a living hell. Paul says, man, God has been merciful to me. Why did Paul think that way? Because Paul attached all of his ministry and his life with the Lord back to one moment in time that happened on a Damascus road. And he said in 1 Corinthians 15, 9 to 10, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than the other 12 or other 11. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. And listen, as we prepare for departure, the church is being persecuted. As we prepare for departure, the name of the Lord is being blasphemed. As we prepare for departure, there is a pandemic. As we prepare for departure, the love of many has grown cold. As we prepare for departure, however, God's mercy is on the move all around us. 
And like Paul, we have not received what we deserve, but we have received mercy instead. And listen, we need to get to this place in our thinking in these last days because it's going to help us through them. Listen, whatever you're going through right now, you need to be able to say, man, God has been merciful to me. No matter how deep the valley you are in right now, you need to have the outlook of Paul. Man, God has been merciful to me. He has spared me of everything I deserve. And I say this with, with a passion and a zeal because my heart and my mind goes there all the time. And my mind revisits things that the Lord would have had every right to take me out for doing. And that's what Paul said. I got no business being an apostle. I persecuted the church. And I feel like that sometimes myself. I got no business being a pastor. Because as a Christian, I drug the name of the Lord through the mud for almost a decade. I got no business standing up here. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And listen, we need to live in that place constantly. We need to be thankful every day. Things might be tough right now, but you have never, ever, 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 ever gotten what you deserve. Never. Because you and I, I was thinking about, I ran into David Hawking. We were both speaking at an event at the Salvation Army Church up in the hills in Tustin one time. Uh, David was one speaker and I was the other. And uh, we had, had passed uh, in the aisleway and, and David said, hey, how you doing, brother? And uh, I said, better than I deserve. And he said, well, you deserve hell. <laughs> right back at you. Because we do. But we didn't get it. We got mercy instead. We got grace instead. And this is why Paul, after four years, uh, uh, the very minuscule portion of the things that he had experienced that we just described, Paul could say, man, God has been so merciful to me. Look at these two men in this picture. Epaphroditus almost died. And what's he worried about? He's worried about the people at home. He's not worried about himself. He's not saying, you know, God, how could you allow me to get sick? You know, here I am trying to do something for Paul. Paul, who is your chosen apostle. Paul, who you have sent to an as an apostle to the Gentiles. Paul, who's been wrongfully accused. He's already suffered two years in prison. And, and now here he is in Rome waiting to stand before Caesar. And here I am bringing something to him that would help him. And I almost died. That's not what he said. That's not how he thought. He thought, man, the people at home heard I was sick and they're worried about me. I got to get back and tell them I'm okay. I got to get back and tell them that God has been merciful to me. And Paul, the other one in this text, who sorely needed companion, uh, companionship from a brother, fellow worker, and soldier, he had the same concern as Epaphroditus. I got to send him back. He's got to go back because you guys are worried about him. And I can't have you worried about him. And God showed mercy to me in sparing him. And you need to see him and touch him and hug him and feel him and know that he's okay. There's three great prayers in the Old Testament. And interestingly, they're all in chapter 9s of Ezra, Nehemiah, uh, and Daniel. 
and they share common features among them. And in Nehemiah 9, 17 to 19, listen to what uh, this man who was used by God prayed. He was talking about the wilderness wanderers. He said, they refused to obey. And they were not mindful of your wonders that you did among them, but they hardened their necks. And in their rebellion, they appointed a leader to return to their bondage. But you are God, ready to pardon, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abundant in kindness, and did not forsake them, even when, there's that but God, even when package. Even when they made a molded calf for themselves and said, this is your God that brought you up out of Egypt. And were great provocations, yet in your manifold mercies you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road, nor the pillar of fire by night to show them light and the way that they should go. Listen, we live in a time where people are not mindful of the wonders of God. But he's still showing mercy. They've shown leaders who will put them into the bondage of the enemy. But God is still ready to pardon because he is gracious and merciful. And listen, it's easy to get overwhelmed with all the negativity around us in times like these. And as we prepare for departure, we cannot let the trials and traumas of life overshadow that God is showing his mercy to us all day, every day. Listen, even when he allows us to experience difficult and perilous times. Paul was near the point of departure, yet he was filled with hope. Paul was already being poured out as a drink offering, yet he thanked God for his mercy. And we can and should have that same outlook by doing one thing, and that is remembering that our eternal destiny is not determined by what we have done, but by what was done for us. No matter what we used to be, the blood of Jesus is able to cover our sin. Somebody say, Amen. Now, let's wrap it up with 28 through 30. Therefore, I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice and I may be less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness. Hold such men in esteem because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. Now, again, we see more of the heart of Paul and what he told others to do. He himself practiced. He said, esteem others greater than ourselves, and he did. He said, look out not only for your own interest, but for, for, for the interest of others, and he did. And here he sends someone who was a great comfort to him back to his hometown because Paul was more worried about how they felt than what he needed. And this is telling us about the character of Paul. He tells them to hold men like Epaphroditus in esteem. Now, the word esteem means to see them as precious or to view them as being honorable. Why? Because his efforts to deliver the generous gift from Philippi almost cost him his life. Now listen, it's not the act that Paul is wanting us to pay heed to, it's the attitude. And the phrase not regarding his life has led some commentators to believe that Epaphroditus actually got sick en route to Rome, but he kept pushing through even to the point where he became so sick that he almost died. I think that's a pretty valid interpretation of what we have in front of us. But listen, it's clear that much of what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write was based on things that he had seen and experienced in his journey to Rome and while he was there under house arrest. Like what he said in uh, verse 29 of chapter 1. For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to what? Suffer for his sake. Did Paul suffer for his sake? 
Yeah, so he wrote it down. So we would know that that's part of our package. And this is exactly what Epaphroditus had done as well. And though suffering, he kept pushing because he had to fulfill what he had committed to do. And as we prepare for departure, we need to consider something. And this hit me yesterday. And uh, I don't know if Terry thought I lost my mind, but I came charging downstairs, uh, my own version of charging downstairs, <laughs> carefully. Um, and I was just so pumped up. I don't know, maybe my testosterone was coming out my ears or something. But I just got to thinking about the rapture and how often. Uh, I think maybe we all kind of picture the rapture as boom, gone. Right? I mean, isn't that kind of how we look at it? Well, we're just going to be going about our own business and, look, and doing our own thing and all that. And you know what? It hit me yesterday. That's not what the rapture is going to be like. And any of you who like war movies are going to know exactly what I'm talking about. Because what the rapture is going to be is a hot extraction. You know what a hot extraction is? If you've ever seen it in a movie, it's where the gunboat goes in and is firing the 50 caliber and everything else on it to grab somebody who's being held hostage and they're fighting against the adversary on shore and they rescue them. It's called a hot extraction, meaning there's gunfire. There's fighting to remove the people. And listen, this is what Paul is telling us we ought to be doing. We're not just to hoity-toity around and wait for the Lord to come and get us. We need to be fighting. That's what Paul said. I fought the good fight, as we'll see in a moment. And listen, I think this is more pressing on us because of what Revelation 12, 12 says. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having what? Great wrath. Because he knows that he has a short time. And listen, if we know our departure is at hand, Satan certainly knows his days are numbered. And his wrath is great because he knows he has a short time. And that's exactly what Revelation says. Now, listen, we're not going to be here for when that happens. But he knows it's coming. So you think he's already mad? You think he's already trying to up his game, so to speak? Absolutely. And because our time of departure is at hand, we need to prepare for intense battle until the trumpet of God sounds with the voice of an archangel. We need to keep fighting the adversary, the devil, because he is clearly upping his game and knows he's a short timer. He's trying to silence the only voices of hope in the world through fear, through persecution, and through prosecution, just like what happened with Paul. And therefore, in the last chapter of the last letter, the great apostle wrote on this earth, Paul told Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. Paul's uh, uh, military and uh, athletic metaphors that he loved. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to, next word, all who have loved his appearing. Listen, we need to fight the good fight. We need to finish the race. We need to keep the faith until the Lord's appearing to meet us in the air. So let me put it like this as our last and concluding point. Listen, here's something to remember in light of the hot extraction uh, metaphor. Listen, the last days are a battleground, not a campground. The last days are a battleground, not a campground. Now listen, I love the Lord's appearing, don't you? I'm ready to go home, aren't you? I wish he'd come today, don't you? Yeah. 
So, do we sit back and wait, or do we armor up and fight? We armor up and fight. You know, I was thinking yesterday about uh, an old story I heard about a family uh, who had their annual camping trip. And uh, as they, after their long journey on the road, pulled into their assigned spot at the campground, the SUV parks, and as soon as that SUV was in park, all four doors flew open, the gate lifted in the back, everybody piled out of the doors, and in 10 minutes, the whole campsite was completely set up. Well, the people on either side of their assigned spot were watching in amazement, and one guy walked over and said, man, I have never, ever seen anything like that. I've never seen anybody roll into camp like that and get set up so fast. How do you do it? He said, one rule. What is it? Nobody goes to the bathroom until camp is set up. <laughs> now, that has absolutely nothing to do with the message. Well, it does kind of. I'm hoping that we can increase our activity level. And have a bit of an urgency that we've never had before. And we can do that in these last days by what Paul said again in his last letter in chapter 2 in 2 Timothy 2.4. He said, no one, say no one. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And listen, there is a war for souls raging all around us. The signs that Jesus spoke of are increasing in frequency and intensity. The devil is attacking the church and trying to wreak havoc and create confusion and a spirit of fear and intimidation. And we cannot get entangled with the relevant things in these last days. The battle must have our full attention. I'm sorry. The battle must have our full attention. And yet all around us in the midst of all the negatives we're seeing, God's mercy is being manifested in the midst of battle all over the place. He's still saving souls today. Isn't that awesome? He's still rescuing people drawn towards death today. In a generation where largely people either deny his existence or simply do not like what he stands for, he's still saving souls. That's that. Even when they made a golden calf and said, this is our God that delivered us. God is still merciful. God is still gracious. And listen, we're not here to camp. We're here to conquer. We're here to engage the enemy. And I don't mean conquer in the sense of the dominion theologist and the church is going to take over the world. The Bible teaches no such thing. The Bible teaches just the opposite. It's going to be a mess. We're going to need a hot extraction. We're going to be fighting up until the minute that the rapture happens. And listen, I can tell you that uh, the Lord is going to have dominion over the world at the second coming. But we're not getting ready, get, getting the place ready for him. He's getting a place ready for us. And then we're going to come back with him and rule and reign in righteousness. So what do we do? We fight to the end. We keep the good faith to the end. Because the hot extraction is coming soon, maybe even today. So what do we do? We take as many with us as we can by remaining faithful and true to God's word up until that moment in twinkling of an eye experience. And listen this morning, uh, because, you know, I say these things to you because I believe them with all my heart. 
And I believe them because I believe the Bible teaches them. I believe we should be expecting the rapture. I believe that the rebirth of the nation of Israel did signal the generation that is going to see all things take place recorded in the Olivet Discourse. It's exactly what we should believe because that's what the Bible teaches. I do believe we're in perilous times. I know for a fact that most of the church won't endure sound doctrine and they pile into ear-tickling churches who will tell them things that make them feel good about their fallen state. We can see it all around us. So we're in the last days. We're seeing everything that the Bible has mentioned about the last days. So that means, now listen close, that means we are living around people who are going to go into the tribulation. Am I right? We are living around people who are going to go into the tribulation. So, what do we do? A lot of people are going to say no to what we believe. But you know what? There's a lot of people who are going to believe it after we're gone. And so we need to tell them anyway. And it's not about our success rate. You know, we're not putting notches in a belt when we share the gospel. We're not, we're not interested in recording uh, any names or numbers or any of those other things. Because the fact is, there is going to be a myriad of people in these last days who fall prey to the pressures of the world and are basically putting their lamp under a bushel. Now, I've had the question asked me many times, and some even say, well, you know, the word saints is used during the tribulation, so that means that the church is going to go through the tribulation. Saints is not a term exclusive to the church. There's Old Testament saints that aren't part of the church. There's tribulation saints that aren't part of the church. Saints just means you believe God and have righteousness placed in your account. So just because there's saints during the tribulation doesn't mean the church is going to go through it. We aren't going to be here. We can't be here. It doesn't fit uh, the Bible's prophetic message. Can't happen. We got to be gone. But you know what is going to happen during the tribulation? The biggest great awakening in the history of the world is going to happen during the tribulation. A numberless multitude, which no man could number from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people are going to follow Christ during the tribulation. I believe a lot of those people are going to be people that you and I shared with who missed the rapture. I believe a lot of those people are going to be phony Christians who realize, you know what? I was playing a game. And Jesus said, be ready, and I wasn't. And I missed the whole thing. And I basically was practicing churchianity instead of Christianity. And you know, I think they're going to say, uh, no more. No more. And they're going to live and die for him. So listen, since we are living in times like those, shouldn't we adjust our behavior accordingly? Shouldn't we be telling people, you know, um, I believe that the Bible says that in the last days and for these reasons, um, God's going to remove his church from the surface of the earth. I know you probably think that sounds crazy. But after it happens, here's what's going to go down. There's going to be a guy from somewhere in Europe who raises the power that the whole world is going to surrender their sovereignty to. And he's going to be the ruler of the whole planet. He's got a system in which no one can buy or sell. Uh, is there a system now that's being instituted to 
hinder the buying and selling or the attending of a restaurant or a group meeting or anything unless you have a passport of some kind? Is the system in place? Well, there's a guy who's going to take that system next level. And he's going to say, if you're not for me, you're against me. Hmm. Didn't somebody else say that? After all, remember, he is the instead of Christ. And he's going to do things to mock Christ. And Jesus said, you're either for me or against me. And the Antichrist is going to say, you're either for me or against me. And if you're against me, I'm going to kill you. And Jesus, just the opposite. Uh, you're against me, but you can still come to me. For whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. And you know, we need to be preparing people for this because it's going to happen. Maybe even today. And I don't know, maybe there's some time between the hot extraction and the uh, the first rider and the right horse, white horse of Revelation chapter 6. Nobody really knows, but it seems to be logical that it would take a few months maybe for the Antichrist to set up his kingdom. Well, listen, Jesus said in Revelation chapter 1, when these things start, they're going to happen in quick succession. And they've already started. Not the tribulation, but the precursors to it. So listen, we need to be serious about this. And you know what? You Christians, I heard somebody say one time, and this is it third service yet? No, I still got a couple minutes. <laughs> I heard somebody say one time when I told them about all the stuff that we believe, they said they said this, and it's like they're quoting the Bible. They said, you know, I've been hearing that my whole life, and it hasn't happened yet, so it's not going to. Well, first of all, you're 25. <laughs> you haven't had a whole life. You're just a kid. And you've been hearing this for 10, 12 years, so you gave up on it? You know, I had somebody comment on social media about last Sunday's message that said, uh, you know, you, you give this false hope to people, and when the Lord doesn't come, they're going to be disappointed. Really? Well, here Paul's preaching this all the way back 2,000 years ago. And, you know, he said, hey, live like it could happen at any moment. And if he's doing that, we can do that. But we got a lot more evidence than previous generations. But listen, we need to be doing these things, not just because, you know, it's the Christian thing to do, though it is. We need to be doing these things because we're running out of time to do them. Jesus is coming. The hot extraction is right around the corner. It could even happen today. So let's tell people about them. Amen.